This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun. And that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com. Whether you're making the same breakfast that you have every day or baking a cake for an extra special day, eggs are a staple in our diets. Eggland's best eggs are nutritionally superior to ordinary eggs, containing more vitamins and 25% less saturated fat. Not only are they better for you, but Eggland's best eggs taste better too. There's a reason that they're America's number one eggs. Visit egglandsbest.com for additional information and delicious recipes. Welcome to True Crime Garage. Wherever you are, whatever you're doing, thanks for listening. I'm your host, Nick, and with me as always, ladies and gentlemen, Billy McBigBills. Sorry, wrong show. My bad. Ladies and gentlemen, it's the captain, of course. Well, my name in high school was Billy McBigbutt. It's good to be seen and good to see you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for telling a friend. Today we are featuring vanilla pumpkin beer made by O'Fallon Brewery in Maryland Heights, Missouri. Vanilla pumpkin beer is locally produced cold-pressed Madagascar bourbon vanilla added to a pumpkin amber ale with cinnamon, nutmeg, and clove. This almost tastes like a slice of pumpkin pie with a scoop of vanilla ice cream. Garage grade, three and a half bottle caps out of five. And some big ups and big shout outs to our friends that helped us out this week. Cheers to Erica Black in Eckley, West Virginia. And a big shout to Charlotte in Moses Lake, Washington. And here's a cheers to Corey in Abington, Massachusetts. And what a beautiful name, Noel, in the land of brotherly love, Philadelphia. And here's a cheers to Morgan and Benny in Portland, Oregon. And last but certainly not least, we have Christine in Truman, Arkansas. Everyone we just mentioned went to our website, that is truecrimegarage.com. And they clicked on the donate button, which helped us out with this week's beer run. And for that, we thank you. Yeah, B-W-E-R-U-N, beer run. Get you some. Make sure you sign up for Off the Record on Stitcher Premium if you're nasty. If you need more True Crime Garage for your earballs, find it on Stitcher Premium. And that's enough of the business. All right, everybody, gather around, grab a chair, grab a beer. Let's talk some true crime.
We're keeping a close eye on a missing persons case in Dallas County, Missouri. 33-year-old Cassidy Rainwater is missing. She went to high school in Harrisonville. Her case is drawing a lot of attention on social media due to the circumstances. Investigative reporter Angie Rocono has been tracking the developments and joins us from the newsroom. There is so much mystery and intrigue in this case that has fueled social media speculation. Two men have been charged with kidnapping, inflicting injury, and terrorizing. That's James Phelps and Timothy Norton. The sheriff posted on Friday more charges are expected in the coming days. We are watching for that. The sheriff previously released a statement saying due to the extreme nature of the crime, he's not providing details. Here's what we do know. Pictures have been found of Cassidy partially nude and in a cage. The FBI has been involved. Cassidy Rainwater is still missing. Her trail led to this rural property owned by suspect James Phelps. Investigators have been searching the grounds while the men are in jail. The Springfield bomb squad was called in and a fire broke out last week. The house burned to the ground. Speculation is there was a tripwire and that's why the bomb squad was called in. This case is all over social media. Videos are being made on TikTok. Reddick has threads. Bloggers are speculating about cannibalism. The sheriff blasted all of the attention and speculation on this case, saying much of it is not true, although he used a more colorful word. He reminded everyone investigations take time in the real world, and this isn't a TV series or movie. Cassidy Rainwater's own mother went missing back in 2007. Her remains were eventually found scattered in a field by a farmer, according to the Associated Press. We will keep you posted on charges and developments in Cassidy Rainwater's case. Reporting from the newsroom, Angie Ricono, KCTV5 News. When we left off yesterday, Captain, we were about to go through the rumors coming out in this case. But before we get to those rumors, a couple of updates that I was able to confirm in regards to some questions we had about the case. This is in regards to the tip that came in. We were wondering how that situation all came about. There's a little bit of information on that and regarding the photos that were found on Phelps's phone. So a couple quick statements that I found in September, the FBI's Kansas City office. So it was the Kansas City FBI office that received an anonymous tip from a person who says they shared photos, including one of what appeared to be Rainwater's partially nude body inside a cage. So it doesn't completely clean that up for us. But again, this story is not necessarily breaking news, but it's still very new and we're still waiting for a lot of information to come out. So now that we have some confirmation as to how that tip came about, wanted to make sure we included it here. Also, in regards to his phone, there's a statement in an article that now says authorities arrested James Phelps on September 16th after seizing his cell phone and discovering seven photos of partially nude Cassidy Rainwater being kept inside a cage, according to court records. So they seized his phone before they arrested him, finding those photos. Right. Now, again, some of the rumors in this case include the finding of meat hooks on the property, on the Phelps property by law enforcement officials, acts of cannibalism, additional victims, 
possibly the remains of up to 12 or 13 people found on the property, additional suspects, caged victims, and transporting kidnapped victims or remains across state lines, and that these two may even be responsible for the missing Springfield 3, may have been involved or responsible for the Springfield 3 case. We'll address each one of these as we go along here, but just in case someone is not familiar, the short wiki version of the case, the Springfield 3 case details are that the Springfield 3 refers to an unsolved missing persons case that began on June 7th, 1992, when friends Suzanne Streeter and Stacy McCall and Streeter's mother, Cheryl Levitt, all went missing from Levitt's home in Springfield, Missouri. All of their personal belongings, including vehicles and purses, were left behind. There was no sign of a struggle except for a broken porch light globe. There was also a message on the answering machine that police believe might have provided leads in the disappearances. And as you remember, Captain, that was inadvertently erased. So the police were only able to be told what the message said secondhand. Now, longtime listeners know that us two, your boys, the garage guys, we covered the Springfield three case back in April of 2017. Wow. That's starting to feel like a long time ago. This would be episodes 97 and 98. Should anyone want to go back deep into the catalog and listen to those fascinating episodes. In those episodes, we reviewed a lot of suspects in the Springfield three case, but of course not James Phelps and Timothy Norton, because these two who it looks to me are obviously guilty of something. And unfortunately it appears to be that the something or some things that they are guilty of are some pretty heinous and horrific acts But Phelps and Norton were unknowns back in April of 2017, unknowns to us and everyone else. Now, we are not saying these guys are good for the Springfield 3 case, but let's pretend for a second that they are. Well, they are shitbags. That's what makes these rumors beyond terrifying, because if they are in any way responsible for the kidnappings of three persons from Springfield in 1992... Well, Cassie Rainwater does not go missing until July of this year, 2021, some 29 years later, and no one in their right mind, I believe, would think for a second that these two kidnapped three people and did God knows what to them in 1992 and then just took a long break and decided in July of 2021, 29 years later, oh, I'd like to resume my dirty deeds and pick up where I left off. Right. Done dirt cheap. Done dirt cheap. Well, also, this property kind of reminds you of Todd Kohlhepp and also the murder that took place in uh, northern Ohio, around Finley, Ohio. Guy that had a barn with the freezer. Well, unfortunately, these kind of acts and what some of these individuals, you know, serial killers and serial abductors and rapists want to do requires a certain amount of privacy requires a certain amount of seclusion so you can do these things and carry out these horrible acts. And so these types will, they desire a property similar to this. And that's why I think to me, the hair stands up on the back of my neck when I hear, oh, well, Phelps was renting this property and he has other properties. What 
what does this creep need other properties for? Or what is he doing with multiple properties or this one in particular? Now, a couple more things on the timeline here, Captain. On October 4th, 2021, from the news report, a home near Lebanon, Missouri, connected to Phelps, was burned to the ground. We had mentioned that on yesterday's show. The Dallas County Sheriff's Office says Phelps 58 was renting the home. A Dallas County deputy had alerted a firefighter after discovering a tripwire near the home. And then a call went out to bring in the Springfield bomb squad. So hours later, the bomb squad detonated this suspicious device, whatever it was. Now, Rachel Nicholson, who moved to Lebanon recently, says she saw the home go up in flames from a distance. Quote, all of a sudden the house collapsed and the flames got bigger and we could feel the heat, said Nicholson. Everything was on fire and we sat there and watched it collapse. I called 911 because I was worried about it catching the woods on fire and like going to the other houses, end quote. The Missouri State Fire Marshal's Office is investigating the fire caused, which caused a total loss to the home. Now, you know me, Captain, I'm not one to believe or even want to believe rumors, but I do think that the local scuttlebutt can have some meaning in an unsolved case or offer some possible lead. But one thing that our talks with John Douglas told us is that normal people, don't just wake up one day and kidnap and kill. There are things, crimes, behaviors, and such in their background that lead up to those types of extreme acts. But also, Captain, what makes me pause and wonder if there could be some truth to some of these many rumors is normal people also don't just wake up one day and arm their properties with tripwires, right? That once activated will burn the whole damn place to the ground. Right. But back to what you were saying about these local rumors, a lot of these cases that go unsolved, take, for example, the Mara Murray case, you get this rumor that these three individuals worked at Loon Mountain and didn't show up to work the day Mara went missing. And and when you're investigating a case like that, you don't know if there's much weight or validity or anything backing up these local rumors, but I don't like to dismiss those because normally... Where there's smoke, there's fire, and now we have a situation in that case where they're, they discovered uh, skeleton remains and hair remains that was buried in the Loon Mountains, and now we're just waiting for confirmation on, on who that individual is. Verbatim from one report in a Springfield Bomb Squad report, investigators say that they found an incendiary device during a fire at the home at the center of this kidnapping case. In the report, it claims investigators found the explosive device in a mortar tube with a balloon cover. It featured trip wires. Thankfully, no firefighter was injured in the battle of this fire. According to the incident report, the incident is labeled as second-degree arson. I'm guessing that there's probably some additional investigation that needs to be done to confirm if they want to move forward with second-degree arson or elevate that charge to something else. The report also says around $40,000 was lost from the fire, uh, $40,000 in damages, I guess, from the fire. And the classification is undetermined and criminal currently as it sits. On October 5th, Phelps and Norton both appeared before a Dallas County judge via a webcam 
both represented by different public offenders. During this hearing, prosecutors asked for 45 days until the preliminary hearing due to the number of witnesses needed. The state asked for 45 days, but the defense objected based on state Supreme Court requirements that allows for only a 30-day period. This is because they're being charged, they're being held in the jail, they can't leave until they have this preliminary hearing. And at their defense, they're going to point out, look, if these guys aren't guilty, you can't keep them here forever. Right. Dallas County Prosecutor Jonathan Barker said that if he still isn't ready to proceed after 30 days, that he will file a motion for more time. A judge set a preliminary hearing for November 5th, starting at 9.30 a.m. So convenient or not convenient, this fire goes down right before they're about to have their first encounter with a judge via webcam. After that goes down, the investigators, they return to the scene of the fire during daylight hours to analyze the area, trying to figure out how the fire started to begin with. Unfortunately, having the task of looking for more trip wires, right, to make sure that they themselves are not in danger while being present on this property. A woman who lives near the home, she wanted her to conceal her identity for her own protection, of course, says, quote, if these people have committed such horrible crimes as they are accused, I hope the legal system prosecutes them to the fullest extent. I am very upset by it. Captain, let's get into the rumors, and I want to start off with just the location itself. Windyville, Spookyville, some call it. Now, depending on where you are in the great city of Springfield, Missouri, and the small, unincorporated town of Windyville, we're talking about an hour to an hour and 20 minutes drive time from Springfield to Windyville. So to me, when one of the rumors says that these guys might be or may have been involved in the Springfield 3 case, I mean, it does sound like a stretch a bit, but... Keep in mind the proximity, and I'm happy that the good folks of this area refuse to just forget about three missing women, no matter how old the case is. Yeah, it's uh, it's one of the most popular true crime cases of all time. You can't just let it go. Correct. And I think that it's not just the proximity that some think that these could be these guys could be involved, but the key thing here is the van. There was a van that was found on the property. So there's overhead photographs that were taken of this property that was burnt down, basically, and and people saw this van. Well, there was rumors to believe that that's how the Springfield Three were abducted, was a guy using a van. But I also think you put these two individuals in a time frame, they're old enough that they could have been involved And also, there being two of them. Right. It would make sense, or at least it was considered at the time. In our episodes, we we referenced several suspects. Some of them were groups of people or more than one individual. And anytime you have a case where you have multiple victims, especially trying to corral them, move them from place to place, that can be very difficult. And it gets a little easier the more perpetrators that you have involved, unfortunately. So, With this speculation here, it's not just the proximity. And as you pointed out, these guys are old enough to have been involved in something heinous back in 1992. But the major connection is the van. We have a van in the Springfield 3 case, and now we have one being found on their property. 
the van found on the Phelps and Norton property, that's that's the big, big link here, in my opinion. And uh-huh. some people are saying online that this resembles the van that police were looking for back in the summer of 1992. Here is the infamous van tip received by police in 1992 in regards to the missing three women from Springfield. And this is taken from our old episode. Another tip. This one came in about nine or 10 days after the disappearance, but around 6.30 a.m. June 7th, 1992. This would be just hours after the last time the three women were last seen. A woman was sitting on her front porch. She says that she saw a green Dodge van or a greenish Dodge van, and she believed that the van had been from the mid-1960s to the early 1970s. She also said that the van was out of place not a vehicle owned by any of the neighbors on the block. Furthermore, she noticed a young woman in the driver's seat that appeared to be very distressed. The witness claimed hearing an unidentified male voice speaking to the driver saying, back out slowly and don't do anything stupid. The delay for her reporting this was just simply she was unaware that anything was going on. When she finally heard about the missing women, that's when the witness made the call and told authorities the woman driver she saw was definitely Suzanne Streeter, one of the Springfield Three. Considering this testimony to be credible, local police at the time decided to buy the same modeled van, paint it the color the witness believed it to be, and parked it out front near the police station with a phone number to contact the police for any tips and information. So they want to make sure that nobody misconstrues the information that they're putting out there. This is the type of van that we're looking for. We have a, we're not just going to draw it for you. We're not just going to put it out on a poster for you. This is a physical representation of the van that we believe that we're looking for in this case. Have you seen it? Do you have any information? Let us know. It's a really smart idea because it's similar to like when you buy a, a Jeep all of a sudden you start seeing those Jeeps everywhere mm-hmm. and even that color. Like maybe you're like, well, I'm going to buy that charcoal Jeep. I don't ever see a charcoal Jeep. And next thing you know, that's all you see. So I think it's a very smart tactic by law enforcement. With this move from the Springfield police back in 1992, traction in the case started picking up again. This when a paper boy doing his deliveries described seeing this similar type of van, but he says the one he saw was brown and states that he saw the van when it was dark outside, so could not be certain of the actual color of the van. Over time, more tips came in and the color of the van changed several times. So this really great lead ends up turning into confusion a bit in the Springfield case. But again, as said, that tip was really at the center of the Springfield three investigation. So it's no wonder that it has stayed in the minds of locals. And in fact, when we were researching that case and retelling the story and talking about the case here in the garage, it's one of those weird stories that you almost can visualize what that witness says that she was seeing early that one morning, which again would have just been hours. It's speculation, but it's speculation coming from law enforcement just hours after the believed time that they were removed from the home. Well, and all law enforcement can go off as eyewitnesses of the past and and eyewitnesses of an event that took place so long ago. It's not like they can test this van in some way to let them know that it's the same van that was used 
and the disappearance of the Springfield Three. The thing with the photos that I saw, Captain, it looks to me like the van may have been inoperable before the fire. Right. That nobody was using the van. It actually looks to me like somebody had taken the tires off of this thing. But if it's inoperable, then one has to wonder, don't you get curious and go, well, why are you holding on to this thing? Why are you so reluctant to let it go? Is there something that you're trying to hide? Now, again, I can't tell because I'm just looking at photos and we don't have any of the police or fire members to tell us what we are seeing, but it does not look to me, and I hope so, I hope this is correct, Mm -hmm. it does not look to me that the van was destroyed or ruined in the fire itself, that the fire appears to me to have primarily damaged and literally destroyed the cabin. It's, I mean, it was burnt to the ground. You can see a wood-burning stove that was once probably in the center of that cabin. You can see the wood-burning stove metal and still standing there, right. and the the debris, the burnt remains of what was the cabin surrounding it. If this van has carpet lining, maybe you can take the carpet and test it for DNA. And as maybe as far-fetched as this idea or this rumor possibly is, this is not the craziest of the rumors. Do you want to set your child up for success? Of course you do. That's why you need to check out IXL Learning today. IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids covering math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed to help them really understand and master topics in a fun way. It's powered by advanced algorithms. IXL gives the right help to each kid, no matter the age or personality. There's one site for all kids in your home pre-K to 12th grade. Kids could use it at home on their computer or on an app on your phone or a tablet. No more grading those worksheets. IXL grades everything for you. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. I love recommending IXL learning. Kids can learn at home or on the go. And all my friends and family that are using it Absolutely love it because it's so easy to set up and so easy to use. And even the kids that I've recommended it to their parents have told me, hey, Captain, thank you. I was having problems in math and my parents couldn't help me, but IXL could. Do you want to get your kids back on track or do you just want to get your kids ahead? Do so with IXL Learning. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And True Crime Garage listeners, Get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when you sign up today at IXL.com slash garage. Visit IXL.com slash garage to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Check out IXL.com slash garage today. The best part of spring cleaning takeaway is the post-clean clarity you get. It's kind of like when you find out that you've been paying a fortune for wireless. When Mint Mobile has phone plans for $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. It's time to switch to Mint Mobile. All plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 
5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all of your existing contacts. Ditch overpriced wireless with Mint Mobile's limited time deal and get three months of premium wireless service for 15 bucks a month. Save a lot of money with Mint Mobile. Get their great mobile wireless service delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. That's premium service at a great price. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash T-C-G. That's mintmobile.com slash T-C-G. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash T-C-G. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with Factor's no-prep, no-mess meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. Crush your wellness goals this May with dietitian approved meals and ingredients that you can trust. Make your day delicious, from breakfast to dessert. Stay fueled with easy, nutritious options. Treat yourself to restaurant-quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon. I am new to Factor, and I have been loving every minute of it. I have a problem, and it's called lunch. Some days I need to pack a lunch, and some days I work from home. Whether I'm at home or whether I'm on the go, Factor is fueling my lunch from now on. Head to factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 and use code truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box, plus 20% off your next month. That's code TrueCrimeGarage50 at factormeals.com slash TrueCrimeGarage50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. All right. Cheers, me mateys. Make sure you subscribe to the show. If you're not subscribed, click right now. Subscribe. And then make sure you tell a friend. That way you don't forget. You will not forget to subscribe. You will not forget to tell a friend. Tell two friends if you like. Tell three friends if you can find them. If you got a third friend. Yeah, if you're lucky enough. Let's get on to some of the rumors here, Captain. And look, there's going to be some people that want to throw tomatoes at me and you for... Jumping in on the rumors, but uh, you or know what? for just being handsome, we have a garage show to run here, and this is a case that we can't take our eyes off of, and so we're going to talk about it now. The first of the rumors that I want to address is the finding of meat hooks on the property by law enforcement officials. Obviously, until the police start telling us the things that they saw, witnessed, or found at the property, 
in regards to this, we're just going to be spinning our tires, right? We don't know if they found meat hooks. Now, the online speculation has gone as far or the rumors have gone as far as to say that police found or someone saw body parts hanging from these meat hooks that could be visible through either through one of the windows or just outside of the cabin itself. It's a little foggy on the actual details of that. I didn't spend a lot of time sifting through the details or the different stories because I mean, if that was true, there's no charges to justify what somebody claims they saw. Right. And again, I understand the reason for the speculation, the theories and the rumors because of the sheriff's statements and the sheriff's department's statements. It sounds to me like we're going to have additional charges. There is some evidence that is unclear. There are things that they found at the scene on the property that have not been told to the public. So they're, they're speculating at this point. Now, to me, some of these rumors sound very Texas chainsaw massacre ish, you know, something that you would see in a, on the big screen and not even in that great of a horror film, uh, to begin with meat hooks with parts hanging from them. I don't know. Well, that kind of goes along with some of the claims of cannibalism. This is all over the map. As far as the rumors go of cannibalism, one that they, that Phelps is participating in this, that that's part of the reason why he's killing people, uh, that he has victims to begin with that Norton might be involved in this cannibalism as well consuming human remains that yeah i think people know what cannibalism is that one well no but i mean there's there's a lot of these different rumors out here so i'm kind of sifting through them one at a time here make sure they're clear one that they may have served some human remains to another individual or individuals that unknowingly consume them one of the rumors is that they found human meat being stored on the property. Other rumor is that he was consumed. He was in the act of consuming that Phelps was in the act of consuming human remains when police arrived on, on one or if not their first visit. Again, these are all things that sound like they're not just out of a movie, but out of a really bad movie at that. Yeah, But meat hooks isn't that far of a stretch. I mean, a lot of people use things like that in hunting. If they yeah, kill a or, deer, they, they would hang the deer by the meat hooks. That's right. They sell meat hooks for other purposes yeah, uh, than committing these horrible crimes. And as we stated earlier, that's interesting that you bring that back into the fold here, Captain, because we do know that one of these individuals that was living on the property has been charged with some type of game warden misdemeanor charges at some point in their life. So this these could be active outdoors men. I, I do want to give our promo code for the Whopper. This portion of the show is sponsored by the Whopper. The other rumors are that there are additional victims. And specifically, it's been stated that possibly the remains of up to 12 or 13 people have been found on the property. I think that this rumor comes from speculation that the police well the sheriff's department they spent a lot of time at the scene well i think the first thing that you do you look you're still looking for cassidy right right so you're going to bring in scent dogs but on top of that worse you know worst case scenario you're looking for a body so you bring in cadaver dogs 
Now, cadaver dogs could hit on different parts of the property, and that would lead them to have digs to look for her. And in that process, they could have found other remains. Possibly. The the other thing that I wonder, too, that I think fuels the fire a little bit, again, that the amount of time that they've spent on this property, that doesn't mean that they found a bunch of stuff. It could mean, as you're pointing out here, Captain, simply that what they're looking for, they have not found yet, and they're refusing to leave that property until they either find it or know that it's not there. And that item could be, as you said, Cassidy Rainwater's remains. But there's no reports from law enforcement that they discovered her body yet. Or anybody else's, or anybody else's for that matter. Which, again, makes me wonder who they're connected to as far as these the the sex offenders that are connected to the property and who are their connections and is it possible like you said here here could be a situation where Phelps is renting this property he kidnaps the person then they they cage the individual and then because what, Timothy is a truck driver that he then transports the victim somewhere yeah, that is one of the thoughts and one of the other rumors here. As far as additional suspects go and as far as the registered sex offenders go, it could be something as simple as years ago a registered sex offender rented that same property that, that has nothing to do with Phelps or Norton at all, that they don't even know that individual. What right. we do have that kind of clarifies or clears up some of the additional suspects statement is we have a statement from... Sheriff Rice, who says, look, everybody that we believe to be involved in the Cassidy Rainwater disappearance case is currently in jail. Without trying to piece his words together for him, I've got to believe what he's saying there is we believe these two individuals are responsible. We have evidence that shows that they are solely responsible, the two of them, right. and we have them in custody right now. The courts are going to shake this thing out and figure out what exactly happened here. Don't be don't be running wild with your thoughts and your theories with additional suspects, no matter what you found or what report you read, because we have two individuals that are locked up right now. No, and I understand that, but what we do know, is, and what I'm saying about the sex trafficking, we capture this individual, we are going to then sell her to another individual, but that individual is not known yet, and that's possibly where law enforcement gets their tip because right. we, we know that these images of Cassidy were shared online. Why the heck would you share these online? You can sift through all the reports, and at the very minimum, we know that at least one of these images made their way online somehow, some way. Right. Right. And what's the purpose of that? You're exactly right here, Captain. If you got concerns about human trafficking or selling an individual for any reason at all, it seems like the dark web would be a place or a marketplace to do such activity. Right. How did a photograph like this make it onto the internet? And if Phelps and Norton were the only two that knew about this, then one of them would have had to have put the photo online at some point. Right. Now, in relation to the the caged victims and transporting kidnapped victims or remains across state lines, there's been some speculation in regards to the cannibalism that maybe they were even selling 
human meat somewhere somehow. Again, seems very Friday the 13th, Texas Chainsaw Massacre-ish to me. But what I think is more interesting when we talk about state lines, right. we have Timothy Norton. He drives a truck. He's crossing state lines all the time. I'm more concerned with the idea and the probability of him procuring a victim and transporting them back to this cabin, this secluded cabin with creep number one and creep number two sitting around the old wood burning stove. Right. That seems like something that would be far more likely. And when we talk about state lines and I guess if you're wanting to hide evidence, he has the ability that he has reason to be out on the road constantly. He could be, he could be dropping evidence all along the way. I guess from what I've found is that his truck is on this property and that there was some type of his trailer. It's been reported was one of these refrigerated trailers. So one of the rumors is that human remains of some sort were found in this trailer. Again, this is speculation, but uh, certainly adds to the, just the horrific thoughts that you can put into this case and the possibilities in this case. But yeah, but it's not out of the realm of possibilities. We see these individuals all the time. They're a suspect in one case and that leads to the the discovery of several other victims. Well, and that's interesting, Captain, because it, it, it makes me think of a few different things here, right? Um, first is something we've talked about plenty of times before, linkage blindness. Right. For years, John Douglas and his team were trying to point out to sheriff departments and police departments across this country to not be blinded to the possibility of linking these unsolved homicide cases together. Right. Here you have what we've seen in some cases, which is the reverse of that, where the public sees a case. And then starts tacking on every crime, unsolved murder, kidnapping that they can think of to this being almost a suspect zero type of situation. We've seen that with the Zodiac, right? His, his crimes, he committed them using different murder weapons in different locales. So it's easy to just kind of tack on a bunch of unsolved homicides that it took place in California or surrounding areas at around that same time. And say, all right, well, the, the Zodiac, remember when he told us it was Zodiac score 35 and the San Francisco PD score was zero? Right. Well, here's your other your other homicides that get us to that 35 number. Your boy, Cold Case Cameron. He's told us that Ed Edwards <laughs> killed every person you could ever think of. He's not my boy. I know. I know. <laughs> I, I, I joke. I joke. It's a that, funny theory. Cold case Cameron, he's got some interesting theories on Ed Edwards. Maybe it's yeah. like shooting fish in a barrel. At some point, if you just throw enough of them out there, you're going to be right on one or two of them. Yeah. Th- this reminds me also of uh, Bruce MacArthur from Canada. The Canadian serial killer. He was putting them, putting the victim's remains in planters, planters, right? He was just burying them in the planters, right? Because we had the Jimmy Rice case, which that monster that killed that boy, he he put he cemented or concrete i don't know that there is a difference between the two i'm a dumb guy that hangs out in a garage all day i don't know the difference between cement or concrete and we sniff glue (laughs) 
we, but he huffing paint. So yeah, I can't. MacArthur was just burying the the remains in these large planters, from my understanding. Yeah, and the Bruce MacArthur, it's Toronto's missing men, part one and two is episodes one ninety one and one ninety two on your garage radio dial. But I also think that maybe some of these rumors are coming from the severity of, I don't even know if severity is the right word, but it's a horrifying image to see. Yeah, the pictures from the fire and whatnot. Yeah, I think when you see those pictures of Cassidy in the cage or law enforcement sees those pictures, it makes you speculate on what these animals and monsters are capable of doing because you know they're capable of this horrendous crime. Well, and it makes sense, too, when you reference a woman being held captive in a cage. The thoughts that go through everybody's minds out there in listener land and in parts unknown. It's your imagination runs wild, but it runs wild because we've been trained to think that way. We've been told to think that way, and rightfully so. When we spoke with John Douglas, what did he tell us? that the number one thing that he found to be true in most of the cases of these serial killers, especially, especially the sexually motivated predators was that ideally this is their goal. They would rather have a sex slave or a captive victim that they can victimize again and again. Right. They're only serial killers because at some point they take it too far or they're forced to kill their victim because they don't have a victim captive or do not have the ability to do so. In fact, you talk to a lot of old retired FBI agents that have worked serial cases and they'll reference an old, uh, I believe it's an English novel, The Collector. It's a story about a psychotic man who abducts a young woman and holds her captive. And they reference this because they believe that that is the, the general fantasy that is shared by most of these types. So I think that it's it's fair for all of us to think this way and to speculate and to to want to know the truth behind these rumors, whether they are true or not. And I think we're going to find out a lot more about this. Hopefully we find out more about this stuff when this court date rolls around next month. Now, we have KY3 News who we are being told from KY3 News that their team of reporters has been in constant contact with the Dallas County Sheriff's Office, specifically with the sheriff himself, Scott Rice. However, no further details are being released pending those forensic results that they're waiting on. They, being the reporters, are basically on standby waiting for more. Or if anything new pops up, they will be on it. So, right we will be hearing something should anything come out or come of any of this information. Now we should give the good sheriff his due and voice his opinions of the rumors swirling around. We know some of his thoughts because in a Facebook post, Sheriff Rice addressed rumors in the investigation into the disappearance of Cassidy Rainwater. He wrote that he's upset with social media and bloggers thinking that they know what is happening and says, quote, there is a lot of misinformation circulating in the case. An online article from officer.com, I took some little pieces from this article. Here they are. One says, three weeks into a massive criminal investigation that's drawn viral attention, the Southwest Missouri sheriff leading the probe went on a rant. 
On his department's Facebook page, Dallas County Sheriff Scott Rice took aim at fake news, social media, and people who he said are too impatient and entitled to wait for the justice system to work. Quote, there is a lot of misinformation and rumors regarding the Cassidy Rainwater case being circulated across social media and various news platforms, Rice wrote. While I understand the impatience and curiosity of the people, I'm going to give you a piece of advice. It's not a good idea to listen to a crime reporter slash blogger or TikTok view or TikTok videos that is sitting in their apartment or their mommy and daddy's basement eating great value cheese puffs and drinking box wine. Well, well, uh, excuse me, sir. We're in a garage with grand intentions of being a social media superstar. And, he, and uh, hold on. And we have no intentions of being any kind of superstar. Well, I don't think he's talking to us specifically, maybe. Or maybe he was. He criticized the, quote, crap posted on social media about the case. He dropped the first tidbits of news that have been released within days. Uh, that was uh, the statement that we kind of reviewed earlier, Captain, where he says that, quote, I can tell you we have all parties involved with Cassidy Rainwater's case in jail, end quote. And he did say... Quote, we expect additional charges to be filed in the coming days. Again, it's it's statements like that, though, that I think fuel the fire a little bit for some of these rumors. I'm not faulting the sheriff. I'm not even faulting anybody else out there in yeah. that live nearby or, or live in California, Florida, New York City, or what have you for speculating on this case. I personally think that it's somewhat healthy to, to do so. It's a mystery. We're concerned that well yeah and we're we're trying to figure out what exactly happened so well at the end of the day we're we're humans and there was a human that was in these pictures in a cage Kesty was a real person we want to know what happened and we don't have answers to that so yeah we're going to speculate but we got to remember what john douglas told us remember when he said true crime garage you guys are the best to ever do it Number one true crime podcast of all time. I'm sure he appreciates you <laughs> making up statements for him. Oh. But um, in regards to this here, Captain. It's on record. I, I understand the rumors that are coming out. Here he's saying that 99.99% um, of what has been posted on social media is crap. His statement about we will have or will be seeking further charges is interesting, but again, does not necessarily mean that they found anything that they've not told us about because those addi those additional charges may simply come from a couple of possibilities. One, the arson itself, right? They've already, I don't know that they've 100% declared that it was absolutely arson or they just are suspicious of it so far. Right. From my understanding, what is what the charge would be on that is involuntary second degree arson charges. Well, that very easily could elevate itself to first degree involuntary or premeditated arson. So in relation to the arson, we could see additional charges. Also in the disappearance case of Cassidy Rainwater herself, we could see additional charges again, right now they're only being charged with kidnapping that could be elevated to, unfortunately homicide or additional charges so it's likely and the sheriff is it's likely that we will see additional charges i think that and what i hope is that they didn't stay on that property 
for as long as they did because they couldn't find anything else. Right. And again, that, that goes back to, to my thoughts. I, I don't necessarily think that them being there so long indicates that they were finding things that were useful to their case. I'm worried that they weren't finding what they thought they would find there right. when they arrived. Well, maybe the spookiest thing about this case is not only did Cassie go missing, but her mother went missing as well. Yeah, so Cassie Rainwater's mother, Tracy Wawasuk, went missing in 2007. Based on previous KOLR-10 reporting, her mother, Tracy, her remains were found scattered in a field near Lebanon a year later. So went missing in 2007. Her remains are found scattered in this field that's not incredibly far from Windyville. It's right. not, you know, real close to this property, but it's in the same part of the state as where these two individuals live. The This article that I found goes on to say here, Captain, quote, it was unusual some of the statements made by people that will have to go on with the new evidence we have here and see where it leads us. And this is what the Lockleed County Sheriff Richard Wrinkle is telling the news. And this was his statement to the news after the remains themselves were found. Now, from my understanding, Tracy's disappearance was reported as suspicious, but no cause of death has ever been released on her case. And no one has ever been arrested in that case. Yeah, but if her remains were scattered, pretty much assume it's homicide. We do, we do have the Lockley County coroner, Steve Murrell, who tells Ozark first, it's still an open case, this in regards to Cassidy's mother. And Merle says that at this time, he does not believe that there is any connection between Cassidy's disappearance and her mother's death. Um, again, her mother went missing in 2007, and then remains were found the following year. Maybe it's not likely, but it's not impossible and hopefully we get more answers for Cassie Rainwater as these two monsters go on trial. Thank you so much for joining us here in the garage. Thanks for being our best friends. Very best friends. Best friends in the whole world. If I could hug you right now, squeeze and kiss you. I'm mind-hugging every one of you. I will hug. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm mind-hugging and, and whispering into your ear. It's good to be seen. All right, Colonel, do we have any recommended reading for the beautiful listeners this week? This week for the beautiful listeners, we are very proud to recommend a book called Summary Judgment, a lawyer's memoir. This is by Don Cameron Clark Jr. For those of you that are nasty and you subscribe to Off the Record from Stitcher Premium, our other show that's sweeping the nation, you know what I'm talking about because on episode 140, we spoke with Don Clark Jr., the author and former lawyer. During the summer of 1984, 20-year-old Tommy Hamilton was the product of a deprived childhood. He shot and killed his boss and then became a convicted murderer. Tommy was sentenced to death, 
But before facing the electric chair in Alabama, there was one final appeal that offers the chance to save Tommy's life. This book is about that case and attorney Don Clark Jr.'s involvement to spare Tommy of the death penalty, even if he was not truly innocent. This is a must read. Make sure you check out Summary Judgment, a lawyer's memoir by Don Cameron Clark Jr. You can find that great title and many others on our website's recommended page at truecrimegarage.com. And if you need some music for your earballs, the music that I do, that I produce, that I create for the show, you can find on Spotify or Apple Music. Just search True Crime Garage and click on the artist link. And until next week, be good, be kind, and don't let it. Whether you're making the same breakfast that you have every day or baking a cake for an extra special day, eggs are a staple in our diets. Eggland's best eggs are nutritionally superior to ordinary eggs, containing more vitamins and 25% less saturated fat. Not only are they better for you, but Eggland's best eggs taste better too. There's a reason that they're America's number one eggs. Visit egglandsbest.com for additional information and delicious recipes.